Well, hey, everybody. So great to see you, whether you're here in the room or joining us online. We're honored to have you along for the ride. And before I dig in, I just got to give a shout out to some football things, but not the normal ones. I don't know if you've been paying attention. Forest Hill Central, just down the road here, undefeated this year, right? And many of you don't know this. I am alumnus of that institution. And back in 86, well, I could throw a football over the... No, I didn't really. No. Anyway, uh, yeah, so congratulations to them. And uh, today we get to continue a series that we've called Fighting for Family that, as I've mentioned the past few weeks, I'm hoping will prepare us for what many people call the most wonderful time of the year, but because of impossible family dynamics can feel a bit more like the most stressful time of the year. Uh, like, for some of us, the thought of another Thanksgiving with them sends chills up our spine, right? And if they're sitting next to you right now, don't nudge them. It's very awkward. But uh, anyway, this series is based on the idea that I'm convinced that with proper expectations, it's actually possible to fight for and not just fight with your family this holiday. And if that sounds too good to be true, I'm just so glad you're here so I can show you what I mean by that. Okay, so to get us going today, I want to make an observation that I think we all can agree with. It goes like this. Family isn't an emotionally neutral subject. And a whole bunch of you just went, mmm, right? Yeah, like the Christian mooing thing. Mmm, yeah, right? Because, I mean, like, you think about it, the words father and mother and brother and son and daughter can generate just a surge of emotions. And, and they really should because family relationships, well, they can be incredibly complicated. In fact, I would argue they can become so complicated that many of us eventually, if we get frustrated enough, we end up telling ourselves a pretty dangerous lie. Uh, and it goes like this. We tell ourselves, I guess I, I don't care. <laughs> like, there's so much pain there. I, I mean, my dad left when I was young and I was profoundly hurt, but now I just don't care. Or, or maybe something like this. Like, I have a brother and he was kind of the black sheep of the family growing up. Um, and he blew out morally and he really took a lot of our family's health and story with him. He, he hurt us, but, but it's been years now, and I, I, don't, I don't care anymore. Or, or how about this one? I'm, I'm not really sure what went wrong with my daughter, right? Like, we did everything we could to try to help her and to sort of help her adjust course in life, but, but now it's, she's completely off the rails, and we've tried, and we've tried, and we've tried, and I guess we've reached a point deep down where we've just decided we just don't care anymore. I'm telling you, you can reach this moment in all sorts of emotionally complicated situations, but, but it really is one of the most harmful things you can tell yourself about members of your family. Because like it or not, and this is actually the title of the talk today, you were created to care. <laughs> so was I. And, and so if you've reached the point where you've been telling people, you know, I'm fine, I moved on, just know that, you know, if my experience is any indication, it's way easier to say that than to feel it. Like, especially when it comes to our parents. I had a friend say this to me once. He goes, I feel like it's almost like there's this invisible bungee cord attached to my belt that keeps yanking me back towards my parents emotionally, right? He said, like, all through my 20s, I was able to not care very effectively. I was crushing it. But he's like, then I got into my 30s, I got married, I had a kid, and like without a lot of warning, all of a sudden, I was yanked back into the toxic emotions of my childhood. And he said, and what's so weird is that my parents aren't even alive anymore. And nonetheless, all this junk and anger came flooding back into my life. And he said, it took me a minute to figure out what was going on. I had to sit with a counselor because what happened was I just woke up and I just 
I was frustrated at everybody all the time. Like something was wrong. And he said, and I started looking at like my wife and my kids and I thought, well, you must be the problem. And they're looking back at me going, dude, what's up with you, right? And deep down, he said, you know, I finally figured out that, that well, I, I thought that I didn't care anymore, but, but I did care. And I remember looking across the, the table at Starbucks at him and saying, yeah, you were created to care. It, we, this is how we were made. And that's why family relationships, especially those with our parents, can be so, so tricky. So now that said, for the next two weeks, so this week and next, I want to talk to you about the power and the potential of reconciliation in your family. And reconciliation, I know it's like a big word. I had to look it up. A big word. Normally, it's used by financial people when they're reconciling books. Uh, But I checked with dictionary.com, and there's a more general definition. Here's what the word means. Uh, They say to reconcile is to make something compatible. In other words, you take... When you reconcile, you take two incompatible things and make them compatible. And and, and I'm a big word picture guy, visual learner. And so for me, like the best image I could come up with was like a locksmith who takes a blank key and works on it until it fits perfectly into the lock. Like the locksmith reconciles the blank key so that it can open the lock. And that's that's the sort of thing that I want you to begin to imagine with the most complicated of your family relationships. And, and what I want to do with our time today is I'm going to specifically lean on those of you who are Christians. Like you'd say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. Because for us, there's actually a reason to pursue reconciliation that goes beyond any personal benefit that we may receive. I mean, if you're not a Christian, I'll still encourage you to attempt to reconcile your broken relationships. I think that's always a fight that's worth having. But, but the reason that we're going to discuss today may not be very compelling to you. So what I want to do now is take you into the New Testament of the Bible. I want to show you something that was written by a first century pastor named Paul to some early Christians living in Greece. And I want to show you how he sort of sets up this conversation about reconciliation. He starts here. He says, for Christ's love compels us. And to be clear, when Paul says Christ's love compels us, he's referring to Jesus' love for us and not our love for Jesus. So Jesus' love for us compels us, he goes on, uh, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And I know what a few of you are thinking right now. You're like, yeah, this is why I don't read the Bible on my own. (laughs) Because like, I got the first part, the one died for all, that's Jesus on the cross, grew up in church, get that. But what is this all died thing? Like, what is Paul getting after? And fortunately for us, as he continues, Paul says the same thing in a different way, because I think he probably knew that 2,000 years later, he'd be like, what? And so here's, here's what he writes as he continues. He says, Jesus died for all, so we knew that part, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, Paul's writing to these early Christians, and he says, listen, because Jesus gave his life for us, we're no longer just supposed to live for us. And like in the same way that Jesus said no to what was in his best interest for the sake of our best interest, then we as his followers are to say no to our best interest for the sake of his best interest. And, and to be fair, that you know, it makes sense, but it raises a great question. It's like practically speaking, what does Paul mean when he says to live for Jesus? And fortunately, we don't just have this one letter from Paul. He wrote a whole bunch of letters to early Christians. And based on what Paul writes elsewhere, I think it's fair to say that your living for Jesus 
whenever you start to do something you don't want to do because of your faith in Jesus. Like it's when your faith in Jesus actually costs you something. Or when you stop doing things that you want to keep doing because of your faith in Jesus. Like when your faith in Jesus makes a real and tangible and observable difference in your life. And Paul writes that the reason that we should say no to us and yes to God is because of Jesus. Because of what he did for us, we should be compelled out of sheer gratitude to say yes to him before we even know what he's asking to do. Like you say, yes, Jesus, and, and then he tells us what we should do. Okay, so now check out what Paul writes a few verses later. He says, all this is from God who reconciled, and there's our word, us to himself through Jesus. In other words, Paul says the reason that Jesus came and died and rose from the dead was for reconciliation, to make two incompatible things compatible, to make us in our sin compatible with our creator. But there's more. This is just where it starts. Check out what Paul writes next. He says, and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, and, and you may not have known this when you first crossed the line of faith in Jesus, and some of you may be getting it for the first time today, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you're on a mission from God. And I know some of you just heard Dan Aykroyd say that, right? Hashtag Blues Brothers, right? Yeah, we're on a mission from God. Like, everywhere we go, we're to carry the message of the reconciliation made possible in Jesus, and we are to tell people the good news that no matter what they've done, as incompatible with their creator as they may feel, they can be reconciled to God through Jesus. Because of Jesus, God will accept them just as they are. Paul says it this way. He said, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Isn't that incredible news? I mean, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, God doesn't count your sins against you. Like, he just looked at you, just as you are, and said, in spite of all your junk, in spite of all your mistakes, in spite of all your intentional sin, I forgive you and want to be in relationship with you. And I'm telling you, there had never been a message like this anywhere in the ancient world. Like sometimes people say to me, you know, how do you know there's a God? I, I, I sometimes point to stuff like this. Well, my first thing I always say is, how long do you have? That's just a pastor joke, right? But yeah, but I'm like, you, you look, there, there had never been anything like this anywhere in the ancient world. Like Paul writes to these Christians, like he wants to grab them by the shirts. So he said, listen, this God is different. This God is real and allows people to be real. I mean, people needed grace in order to be reconciled to a perfect, holy God if that relationship was ever going to work. And so God sent grace, like grace came down in the person of Jesus Christ. So, so to summarize, I, and I want to just, I want to make sure we're all clear on this before we move forward, um, and I, then we're going to talk about what I think this has to do with, with our conversations about family, but just two observations. The first one goes like this, and this is just awesome. Through Christ... God removed every obstacle to reconciling with us except us. Because he loves us, he will not force reconciliation on us. And so he invites and he offers and he waits for us to respond. In Christ, two incompatible things were made compatible. And now the only reason that a person wouldn't be reconciled to God is that they don't want to be. He said it more I can say it more personally. This is, this is fun. Check this out. The only obstacle 
to you, being reconciled with God is you. Like he's done everything else. And that is really good news. Okay, so now here's where Paul is going. He's, he's about to argue to these early Christians that just as God was the innocent party and they were the guilty party in their broken relationships, and just as in every broken relationship, the innocent party has every right to look at the other person and say, I'm done with you, you hurt me, you stole from me, you embarrassed me, I don't care anymore, I'm writing you off. Paul says, in that same grid, God, the innocent party, looked at us, the guilty party, and said, I'm going to initiate the reconciliation process with you, and I'm going to do it even though nobody would expect me to do it because you don't deserve it. But I love you, and I'm going to do it anyway. Now, isn't that an amazing and disruptive thought, especially when you consider that God did it even though we came with a past and he knew what it was? And even though we had sin in our lives at the moment, he connected with us. In spite of all that, like God set the table and opened the door and made an invitation to every single person. And as soon as anyone says yes, they were rescued and they were reconciled to him. And for a whole bunch of us who have crossed the line of faith in Jesus, we would say, in all honesty, we didn't deserve it and we couldn't earn it. It was a gift. It's grace. We call it the gospel, the good news. Because when the message went out in the ancient world, people who heard it, again, this was not like any other religious system the world had ever seen before. And people kept saying, this is good news. This is unbelievable news. This is the best news of all. This God is different. This God is, is, is grace. And, and so when we think about reconciliation, I think the key phrase to understanding the concept is in spite of. And I'll say it this way. God was reconciling the world to himself in spite of, not because of. And when it comes to like our family conflict, this is kind of our problem, right? Like, like if we're honest, the reason that I don't want to reconcile to my dad is because of, like because of what he did. Because when I was growing up, he wasn't what I needed him to be, right? Some of us have stories like that. Like he doesn't deserve it. There's any, he hasn't even said he's sorry. I mean, because of all that, I'm not going to reconcile with him. Or, or maybe, you know, some of us would say, well, I have a brother um, and I have always had a hard time with him and I want to write him off because of, because of what he did to my family of origin, because of the damage that he inflicted on my parents, Right? So yeah, because of that, I don't want to be reconciled to him. But see, we look to God, and in Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself in spite of. And then as Paul continues, and you can almost feel this coming, because like Paul's like, this is awesome, celebrate, look what God has done for you. And then he's like, all right, let's talk about us. And everybody's like, oh, this is why I don't like Paul. No, I'm just kidding, right? Yeah, here's his application as he continues. He says, and he, God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And, and, and so, like, you see this word ambassador, and I always think of, like, okay, the United States has ambassadors to other countries. What's their job? They go to the country, and they represent America to that country. Paul says, in the same way, you are ambassadors of Jesus in your world. It's like Paul says here, someone should be able to look at a Jesus follower and see a reflection of Jesus that a Jesus follower would do things the way Jesus would do things. And so it's like Paul is calling him in like a coach in a locker room. And he says, listen, guys, listen, because you've experienced the process of reconciliation with God in spite of, you are now called to live out and carry that message everywhere you go, which means, practically speaking, 
that you have no real option. You are compelled. That's where he starts this passage. You're compelled to offer reconciliation to others even when they don't want to, right? Because you are ambassadors of your Savior. It's almost like Paul says, you were born into a broken world and there's a way that the broken world deals with broken relationships. But when you say yes to Jesus, you exit that relational economy and you enter a relational economy of grace. And in a relational economy of grace, people who hurt you are given things they don't deserve. And, and it's like, and, and you need to show them grace in spite of what they've done. Okay, now we have some disclaimers, right? Because I know that for some of you, you could tell some stories about how bad your family of origin was. And if I heard your stories over coffee, I'd be, suggested, I'd be tempted to say something like this. Okay, I hate him too. You get a pass, right? You don't ever, the rest of us have to do this. You don't have to do this. And so like um, the idea, if that's your story, that I would lean on you to begin the process of reconciling with your broken family, you're like, I just find that even insulting, right? But again, just... Just imagine this with me a second. I recently met with a friend who has struggled with his father for decades. And he's tried like everything that he can. And he's ready to just say, I don't care anymore. And he met with me because he wanted like a second opinion. He's seeing a Christian counselor. So apparently I'm good for second opinions if you need one, right? Like the doctor doesn't like what, you t what he tells you. You can go see me and I'll maybe tell you something different. But anyway. He says, you know what this counselor, he had the audacity to do. I said, what? He says, he said he wouldn't let me quit in my attempts to reconcile with my father. Can you believe that? I said, that's hilarious. He could never control you. He goes, yeah, but I keep hearing him say that in my head. And then he says, and then you know what else he said? I asked him. I said, when is it okay for me to stop and just move on? Like, is there a line? And he goes, here's what this guy said. I wrote it on a napkin. I was so upset. Check this out. The counselor said this. You can give up on a relationship with your dad when your heavenly father gives up on his relationship with you. And I was like, drop the pen, boom, right? Like, wow, Christian counselor guy, wow. What, you know, what's going on here? It's the economy of grace. He says, listen, through Jesus, you've stepped into a whole new economy. And so just like you have limitless grace from God when you're in Christ, you need to keep trying with your dad. And all of a sudden you start to go, oh yeah, right at the top of the message you said this is really only applicable to Christians. Because you're like kicking the tires of faith. And you're like, yeah, if this is on the window sticker, I'm not sure I'm going here, right? Yeah, yeah, but, but Paul says to these followers of Jesus, listen, when you look at your difficult relationships through the grid of what God did for you in Jesus, it's like you have to start to see the world in a different way. And I know this is tough stuff. And I know there are a ton of objections to this, and a lot of the objections are valid. So in anticipation of a few emails that I'll receive this week, I thought I would pre... All of you get the, my top three objections, okay? Let me tell you what you may be thinking. Um, and the first one goes... And if you want to email me, it's randy at keystones... <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Here's the first objection. I mean, I would reconcile with my significant, you know, problem, but there are just too many loose ends. There's, it's so complicated. And, and if that's what you're thinking, here's what I need you to understand. Reconciliation is not about tying up all the loose ends or trying to talk it out one more time. Reconciliation is attempting to move on in spite of. And, and, I, and, I, and I know it's, it, that feels impossible, but I'm telling you, I've done this for a long time. It's not impossible. It's hard, but it's not impossible. And if you'll let yourself go there, you probably can already imagine how you might 
initiate that process. There are ways. Because again, reconciliation isn't about bringing up the past, and it isn't withholding relationship until the other person admits that they were wrong. Because they probably won't. And so if you're like broken with them and you wait until they come to you, you know, repentant on their knees begging for forgiveness, you're going to be waiting a long time. But it's about, it's, it's, so it's, it's, reconciliation is not about convicting or coercing or changing. It's all about in spite of. And if you think about it, this is again the pattern in the scriptures because Paul will write in another place, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Like in spite of. And, and, and so you know, that's what he says. That's the path. That's the new economy. But, but again, okay, so this is a good objection, but it's not the only objection. Here's another one you may be thinking. You may be thinking, yeah, but if I re-engage, it will look like I'm condoning their behavior. And I mean, you don't understand my family, but um, my dad cheated on my mom. They got remarried. And if I go spend time with him and his new wife, my mom will be furious with me because it'll look like I'm condoning their behavior. Or, or how about this one? If I go hang out with my sister, okay, don't agree with her lifestyle. If I go hang out with my sister, it'll look like I'm condoning her lifestyle. And, but here's something fun to think about. I thought of this this week. This is kind of cool. If you are ever accused of condoning a lifestyle because of your attempts at reconciliation, congratulations. You are more like Jesus than you thought. Because he was constantly being accused by religious leaders of doing just that. He always hang out with tax collectors and sinners, right? And they're like, what's the deal? Jesus, you're like a holy religious guy like us, and you're hanging out with these unholy, irreligious people. And Jesus is like, yeah, because my message is to them because it's a message of reconciliation and love. It's a message of love in spite of and grace in spite of. And, and plus, I mean, if I think about my own journey with, with this material, um, there are moments where I have said something like this, and this is not really my problem. This is my excuse. If I'm, if I'm honest, the hard truth is that often when I don't want to initiate reconciliation, it's because it's uncomfortable. But just think about this. God didn't send his son into the world to condone what we were doing. Not at all. Jesus came full of grace and truth, John tells us. And not 50-50, 100-100. You're like, how does that work? I don't know. It's Jesus. He gets to do that. The rest of us have to wrestle with it, right? But full of grace and truth. So he didn't send his son into the world to condone what we were doing. He sent him to let us know that there is a God who loves us in spite of. Okay, so that's the second one. Just one more because I'm on a roll. You may be thinking this. Basically, it's not going to work. Like, okay, preacher boy, nice talk, grace economy, gotcha, understand. But this is, you don't know my situation. There's no way this is going to work. They're never going to change. And if that's what you're thinking, I need to ask you a question. Who did Jesus die for? Everybody. Which means he died for everybody who believes in him, and he died for everybody who doesn't believe in him. And he died for everybody who receives him, and he died for everybody who doesn't receive him. In other words, God sent his son into the world knowing that reconciliation wasn't going to work all the time. So of course, your attempts at reconciliation aren't going to work all the time. But let me make you a promise. Like if you extend the invitation to reconciliation, if you reach out to that person, it may not work, but God will work in you. And I'm telling you, that moment of relational tension will become the epicenter of his work in your life. I've seen it over and over and over again. And so now, as some of you listen to this, you 
already know what you need to do. Maybe your sister has been telling you you need to call your dad for years. Or maybe your wife has been telling you you need to call your brother, and you've responded with a little too much energy, I don't care. Like, but the energy with which you say, I don't care, betrays the fact that maybe we kind of care, right? <laughs> and we do care because, again, we were created to care. And so that said, the healthiest thing you could possibly do for you is to recognize, I don't want to care, but I guess I do. And so I, so I just got to ask you, like, who is your I don't care person? Who is it for you? Mother, father, sister, brother, son, daughter, aunt, uncle. And the question, if you're a Christian, would you be willing to take a step towards that person ahead of this holiday season. You're like, no, that's only a week and a half. That's a terrible homework assignment, right? And, you know, one, you know, I'm not going to be following up with you individually, so if you don't, you know, whatever. But two, I'm telling you, if you wait, you won't get to it. Because, like, this series runs through next week, and we're going to do kind of a part two on reconciliation, and then we're going into some really exciting stuff on the holidays that I want to share with you. And you're going to be like, yeah, that great family series. But this is your moment, Right? If you're a Christian, would you be willing to take a step towards them before the holiday season starts, especially if you're going to spend time with them over the holiday season? You approach them with humility and love and grace, and I'm telling you, most of the time, it's not going to be a venomous response. And, and if it is, then there's a toxic thing going on there, and you need to you know, respect your counselor's advice to have boundaries. And Okay, fine. Love you from a distance. There you go, right? But... But would you, would you think about doing for that person what your heavenly father did for you? And again, not, not re-engaging abusive relationships where you've, you've been the victim, but, but somebody, somebody, who, somebody who really does need to see you move towards them in grace. I guess I'm, I'm talking to those of us who, if we're honest, have been hiding behind kind of lame excuses and wounded pride, you know? Like, if we're honest, we're just mad, we're angry, and we've tried not to care, but again, we were created to care. And so because of Jesus, just my encouragement, would you consider making a move towards reconciliation? Because I'm telling you, understanding that reality is another step we can take to fight for and not just with our family. So with that... Um, I'll, uh, I want to invite you to stand if you're here in the room. I'll close our time in prayer. And again, next week we're going to revisit this topic and get super practical. Like, what do you want to do, you know, specifically to pursue reconciliation? And if you've come into this space and you just need someone to pray with you, under the screen to my left, um, actually it's my right, your left. Anyway, that screen, uh, there'll be some volunteers that would love to meet with you and, and pray with you. But uh, let's close our time together. Heavenly Father, we celebrate you as the God of grace who meets us in our sin, who meets us in a situation from which we are incapable of rescuing ourselves in, you make a way. And for that, we are forever grateful. Thank you for the gift that we receive, and, and then thank you for the encouragement to pass that same gift on to other undeserving people. I pray that your spirit would be at work in us as we consider what to do with what we've heard, and I pray that you give us courage if we sense you leading us to take a step towards someone with whom we desire reconciliation in spite of. But for today, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for seeing potential in us to be like Jesus. 
We thank you for the grace in which we stand. We thank you for the cross and all it means. We thank you for the empty tomb and the future that it promises. And I ask for your grace and your peace to be on us all. In the name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. It's good to be with you, friends. We'll see you next week for part four of Fighting for Family.